Welcome to Overshare, a podcast and event series where we have honest conversations about the tough shit creatives don't publicly talk about often enough. We cover topics like creative insecurity, career failures, and how not to become a total douchebag when you finally gain some notoriety. Our goal is to get to know the creative industry beyond the highlights of portfolios and Instagram feeds, and to better understand the ups and more importantly, the downs of what it takes to get there. Struggles we can all relate to, even if we haven't reached all-star status quite yet. Overshare was created by Working Not Working, an invite-only community that connects companies with the universe's most respected, most awarded, and hardest-working creatives in advertising, design, production, and tech. Companies like Apple, Airbnb, Droga5, and the New York Times use Working Not Working to discover and hire talent for freelance and full-time gigs. Learn more at workingnotworking.com. This episode was brought to you by our friends at Andco. Now, if you haven't seen Andco yet, it's pretty sweet. It's a combination of a smart app and a real human to help you run your freelance business. You get a personal chief operator to help you with all the things creative brains typically hate managing, like invoices, and time tracking, expenses, and even your projects. It makes admin work actually fun. I know that sounds like bullshit, but it isn't. It actually is a pretty amazing interface uh, and really simple to use. So you should check it out. You should also check it out because it was co-founded by Working Not Working member Life Abraham, and we like supporting our members and we hope you do too. Feel free to try it out and get 20% off for three months of all premium memberships with the code WNW. Uh, just go to and.co uh, and that's .co, not .com, and.co. I feel just dirty even telling you this. <laughs> just to make you feel comfortable here, we're all friends. It can't get much worse than that, so. Hey, I'm Justin Genak, co-founder of Working Not Working, and this is a recording from our fifth live Overshare event, and this time we're back in New York City. I had the honor of interviewing David Droga, the founder and creative chairman of Droga5, and he's someone whose work I've admired for a long time. Uh, Droga5's only been around for 10 years, and they've been named Agency of the Year 10 times. Uh, so for the, those of you terrible at math, that's every single year since they've been around, and they've done really incredible work. David has an embarrassingly impressive bio. He's been a was a creative director at 22. They've been named to Advertising Age A-list six consecutive years, and one of the only ad agencies to be named one of Fast Company's world's most innovative companies. All right, honestly, I was a little intimidated to interview David. He's kind of a big deal, but he's super down to earth. It's really refreshing how much he opened up about his even his childhood growing up with five siblings in an Australian national park and the role that played in his creative spirit and in his career. And he also shared a great story about his daughter knocking him down a peg uh, and kind of bruising his ego a bit Uh, and also the role of ego in general in a a creative's career and you know what role does that play in putting your name on the door but I wanted to know does it get boring (laughs) does it get boring doing this for so long being in advertising so long having so much success what really keeps you going Uh, and he uh, he he shared that and uh, and even some of his failures some of his insecurities and it it was really uh, really thankful he put himself out there like that and uh, he was willing to share so much with us. Uh, We had a really great conversation and uh, I hope you enjoy it as much as I did. So David Droga is the founder and creative chairman at Droga5, a creative and strategic agency headquartered in New York and uh, with an office in London. Uh, Founded in 2006, Droga5 has been named agency of the year 10 times. Uh, That's 10, that's once a year. It's been 10 years. Okay, yeah, all right, 10 times. Uh, (laughs) That's impressive. Uh, Most recently at the Cannes Lion International Festival of Creativity for the second year in a row. Is the only agency to appear on the Advertising Age A-list over six consecutive years and one of the only agencies to be named one of Fast Company's world's most innovative companies. This year, Adweek named David one of the top 100 most influential leaders in marketing, media, and technology for the second year in a row. 
Today, he's a single most awarded creative at the Cannes Festival and the youngest person ever inducted to the New York Art Directors Club Hall of Fame and the American Advertising Federation's Hall of Achievement. Are you Sounds done like yet? a good guy. Yeah. <laughs> um, can you, I'm just curious, can you tell us where the name Droga 5 comes from? There's a lot of rumors. Well, they're true. I don't know what the other rumors are. I mean, it's, uh, again, it's, it's, it's a simpler story. I keep things pretty simple. I grew up in a national park in Australia, long way away from here, a long way away from any major city. One of six kids and fifth son with a, mm -hmm. with a, a younger sister. And so we were shipped off to boarding school by necessity. Uh -huh. It was actually great. It wasn't one of those, it wasn't like a punishment. Which <laughs> they was, didn't hate you, yeah. No, they didn't hate me. They loved okay. me. Okay. Uh, which was eight hours away on a train. And so I, I went there at nine. Sounds horrific now as a father. I'm like, I would never do that. But, um, <laughs> and my mother sewed Droga 5 on all my clothes as a laundry tag. So I didn't steal my brother's underpants or socks and they didn't take mine. <laughs> so there was Droga 1 through 5. Uh-huh. So that's the truth. So, you know, again, I, I always joke that in a few years I'll tell clients that, you know, it's the five principles of communication. <laughs> you know, blah, blah, blah. But actually, that's the true story. It's like, which my mother is actually very amused by. She's like, I knew it would come to some value. Yeah, it's amazing. So th that's a big family. Well, actually, I'm, yeah, it's a very big family. Yeah. In fact, I'm one of seven because my dad ended up having later another uh, child. Yeah. With someone else, but, you know, so I've got a, a younger sister who's uh, 30. Yeah, it's like I grew up uh, with seven brothers and sisters. Uh, two households. My parents had uh, my sister and I, and then they stopped loving each other. Um, and then uh, my mom had three boys with my stepdad, and my dad married uh, my stepmom, who had two boys and a girl. Things get really competitive in a household that oh, big. It's, it's unbelievable. I'm still, I mean, to this day, being maybe because I'm the, the fifth in the, in the, the carousel of kids, uh -huh. it's such a super competitive, in a fun way, like a very super close family. Yeah. But my brothers will still call me, or my sister will still call me to gloat or compete against seemingly meaningless things, you know, and it's, uh, it's great. I love it. And I have a competitive spirit. Yeah, because you know, of that. I, yeah, I, I want to destroy them. <laughs> <laughs> do, they, do they pick on you a lot, things, the second youngest? Kind of more uh, irrelevant. I was sort of, if you think about it in the context of, I was like a speed hump, where it was all, you know, all roads were leading to them having a girl for my parents. Yeah. So, you know, as anyone who's young in a family, you know, you look at photo albums and there's thousands of the first one, second, third, fourth, you know. Sort of and they stop off. caring. Yeah. And they stop caring. And then right. by me, I, there's one or two. And then for the first daughter, it was like a thousand again. Yeah. But I quite liked, <laughs> I liked being, I actually really liked being the youngest brother because even to this day, you know, I'm in my 40s, you know, they still treat me. In their eyes, I'm still 11 or 12. So that I can mm -hmm. just get away with everything with them still. Yeah. You know, they don't see me as a grown man. They're like, oh, it's my little <laughs> brother. Yeah. How often do you get to see them now? Not that. I mean, and now it's, it's harder because, you know, uh, some of them still in Australia and some of them in Europe and, and, and beyond. Um, once a year, I had 26 drogas for Christmas. Uh, wow. We're going to farm. That sounds like a new agency. It, well, it's exactly, exactly. <laughs> 26 drogas. Exactly. But it was, uh, it was chaos. So if they ever give you shit, you should send them this bio. Exactly. Um, it's like mic drop, done. How, how big is Droga 5 now? Uh, in New York, we're about 650, Wow. I think. And in London, we're about 40. I'm looking at someone in my office. <laughs> Can someone confirm? Uh, yeah. Uh, that's, it's grown pretty quickly, especially in the past couple of years. Well, it's, it's, 
Yeah, it's been pretty amazing. I mean, it's sort of a weird thing. We just had our 10th anniversary and, you know, we had a great party on Governor's Island, which was pretty special for a day. And to look around and see that many people, because, you know, we have nine floors or wherever we are in our office. Yeah. So you never really ever see everybody. Ever. You, you don't even know most of those people. I know There's every no... single... No, um, <laughs> no, I wish I did, but I'm certainly conscious that I don't know. Yeah. But, you know, now people are hiring people and the people who are hiring them, I don't even know. So it's kind yeah. of weird, but I, you know, I want to know as many people as I can. I don't yeah. like being... I'm not a closed-door person. Right. But it's crazy. You know, we've sort of... It has grown exponentially. We've sort of grown 30 40% every year for 10 years. But it's... Again, I'm not afraid of growth. I'm not chasing growth. Yeah. But I'm not one of those places that's like, we're going to retain our soul and lose it after 150 people. I'm <laughs> like, that's bullshit. I think you lose your soul when you lose your soul. Like, if you yeah. grow the right way and with the right people and constantly still about the work, and then you can grow to be... I mean, most of the companies we admire in the real world, you know, there's yeah. some of them are tens of thousands, tens yeah. thousands of people. So I think it depends on how you treat your people and the product you produce. Yeah. Uh, so as the late Jay, si- Jay Shia famously said, how big can Droga 5 be before it gets bad? Again, it's not that's a, a direct I, quote. I, I, yeah, no, that. I know this is quite. I, yeah. I, I don't think that's a size <laughs> thing. I think it's an um, intention thing. And it, like, it depends what you'll do for a dollar. Right. And, it, and compromise on, on yeah, that. I feel like that's the thing. Like, if you take on a piece of business just to make money, or you'll just put crap out in the world knowing it's crap. Yeah. You know what I mean? I just think it depends what you do. I mean, I, that's 100% the privilege of being an independent agency run by a creative person is right. doesn't mean I'm always right but there's a set, there's, there's good intentions and a belief in what we are and who we are and I was lucky that I sort of I migrated through the system of, of a lot of big agencies good agencies around the world and I took something from each one not just pens and pads <laughs> I, yeah. I learned some stuff I learned and it was things that I really thought, I love that, like the work ethic of here or the, the, the joy of craft from this market or scale here. And I, and also took out things that I didn't want to do when I replicate right. when I started an you know, it, Without all those things, um, I wouldn't have been ready to start an agency. Do you, do you guys have a, a mission or a uh, like something that you, when someone comes in and they're a new employee, they're like, this is what Droga 5 stands for? It sounds like a bumper sticker, but, you know, it's, we don't have a sort of a, a mini manifesto or anything. But, you know, my goal, which is one of those, I like goals that are almost unobtainable because it holds you to task all the time. Yeah, for sure. You know, I, I want to build, I want trying to build the most influential agency in the world. Because to be influential, you, you've got to contribute at a lot of levels. It's not necessarily by scale or by one particular client, but it's about influence of culture, influence right. of sales, influence of our industry. You know, I just want to measure it beyond just number of employees or right. offices or awards or things that are, you know what I mean? I, well, I guess things you can't measure in numbers. Yeah, I, I, it, but it just makes us, tries to make us look at the real impact of what we're doing. Right. And, you know, I don't want, we can't bullshit ourselves either. You know, we understand, <laughs> you know, there's a, as I say internally, you know, enjoy the hype, don't believe the hype. Right. You know what I mean? I think that that's, we're our biggest critics, you know, all the, you know, Try you know everything yeah. we do gets panned. You know, uh, yeah, and then you have a lot of other critics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But you know, trying hard. Yeah. How, how often do you feel like you have no idea what you're doing? <laughs> well, I a little bit of. I mean, because going from being a creative to a creative director to then being a, a business person and and running a business and running a well, being I, think a manager, I, I don't yeah. necessarily. I, a lot of times, I have no idea how I'm going to do something. Right. All the time, I think I have. A, an idea of what I want to do and where I want to get to. But a lot of the times I'm thinking, 
all right, I don't know the way to get there, but I know the outcome I would love. Or, and then just will and talent and team and luck and all of those yeah. factors will push us through there. Like if you have, a, if you have good intentions and everything like that. Well, I, think, I think team's a big part of that too, like surrounding yourself with good people. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I would put out, the, you know, no one agency has a monopoly on all the best people, but I feel right. like we're very lucky that I would, I, I can't see any agency that has better departments than us, just yeah. from a mix and eclectic group of people. And, you know, there are many talented people everywhere, but, you know, I always talk about it internally, it's not one style of person. Like the only thing that everybody in our office has in common is that no one has to be there. Right. Everyone talents enough they could get a job anywhere else. Yeah, so I think that, yeah, I, like the fact we choose to be together, we might as well fucking do something with that opportunity. Well, it's like that. Any relationship you want to be with someone who other people want to be with, it's like we try to hire people knowing that other people are going to try to hire them all the time, and it's our responsibility to retain them and make it an environment where they think they can do their best work. Look, I mean that's exactly right. Like we can't, you know, we, our, much to our CFO's horror, you know, we have an <laughs> incredibly good retention rate. You know, I mean, the, you know. Brutal CEOs are like, you know, it's good for business to have a turnover and attrition and da da da. I'm like, you know, we're proud of the fact. And I also understand yeah. we can't keep everybody, right? Yeah. There are, there are some people who are, I'll fight to the end of the world to keep for the culture and all that sort of stuff. And there are some people who it's, it's we're, we're lucky to have them for a period of time and it's the right amount of time. Yeah. And they can go off and. Well, it's like you, you want people that are excited to be there. I think, you know, you hear a lot of people talk about, oh, we're losing talent to startups and to, and to tech companies and all that. And I think it's a whole thing really. You're not losing people because they want free tandoori chicken for lunch in the Google cafeteria. It's like they want something else right now and you can't try to fight that. You just like, you want to support that and want the best for people. Yeah, I feel like you, you know, once you get into that race where it's a retention through fireworks and, you know, accoutrements, I think then you're in a dangerous place. It's not to say you shouldn't spoil your staff or you can spoil them, but, you know, and you should pay them as much as you can at the same time. Like I'm a big believer in that. I don't think people should be paid less as a privilege because it's a privilege to work with us. Yeah. You know, but I also think the great, you know, our entire business plan is, is built around the fact that for retention, for new clients, for culture, for financial growth is great work. Great work covers yeah. all cracks. Great work covers all cracks. That's Sounds good. That's dirty, good. No, that's yeah. good. I like it. Um, all right. So as the fifth of six children, it's said that insecurity is the fuel for overachievers, uh, but you actually seem pretty secure. No, uh, I, has I, that always been the case? No, I mean I, I have that that balance between um, outrageous ego and outrageous insecurity, and I feel like I, I've and that goes back <laughs> to I'd like to say, you know the same motivation. I think when I first started, I had such immense confidence that I was going to do something, but there's always that insecurity about like, what if you don't? So yeah. you know. When it was, it used to be layout pads back then. You'd sit down. And I, I don't even know sit. what that is. Exactly. Like, what is that? <laughs> what app is that? Um, you know, I would sit down and I would literally do 100 boxes on a A3 page. Mm-hmm. And I wouldn't leave the office until I'd filled every single page, every single box with an idea, even if I loved the third thing because I just yeah. wanted to get it out of my brain. And Because part of it was I would sit down and be like, you know what, David? We'd talk you're going to create something amazing here. This is going to be <laughs> fucking epic. And that's where that nose one came from. No, no, no. Um, and, but then the other, the other, the insecurity would kick in and be like, well, what if you don't? What if you're not? What if you're bullshitting yourselves? And that was the thing. I'd be like, you know what? 
I can't guarantee that as talented as I think I am, yeah. I can't guarantee I'm more talented than anybody, but I can, yeah. I can be pretty darn sure that I work harder than anybody else. Yeah. So that was kind of my attitude. That's well, almost what you hear like great athletes say, like all the best, like Steph Curry and LeBron, they're out there earlier than everybody else shooting more. Yeah, we're and, very yeah. similar. In, yeah. 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 <laughs> <laughs> um, do, you, do you feel like you have something to prove? Uh, I'm, I'm always trying to uh, prove something to myself. And, you know, I, I do have a little chip, definitely, because I think going back, everything goes back to family. Right? Uh-huh. I think, um, you know, as the, the, the fifth cab on the rank, you know, most of my brothers, well, all of my brothers actually um, uh, went to college, got scholarships to Cambridge and stuff like that. So it was sort of a foregone, you know, very bright and very successful. Yeah. And I was the guy who was like, you know, I don't think I actually want to go to university, which was like shock, horror in my family. Yeah. And then I was like, and actually, I think I want to go into advertising, which is like, fuck. And then I was <laughs> like, what the hell? So right very early, it was, you know, I wanted to prove that that was, I didn't make a mistake by... Yeah skipping college, going to an industry that, you know, wasn't on everyone's list of like... Like car salesmen, yeah. (laughs) But yeah, but exactly. And I was like, so I was, you know, fueled to sort of prove that that, you know, and make that a, a with them still giving you shit, you still feel like you have to prove it. No, but I, I, I like, I like trying to prove my, prove things to myself and, you know, I like having, I actually like pressure. That sounds weird. I don't like, no one likes too much pressure, but I like a bit of stress and a bit of um, anxiety about something, there's something on the line, you know, and that's the, when it really matters, whether it be about personal, I want to do a great job as I can, yeah. or, or, you know, I, I remember when I was at um, Saatchi's and also at Publicity, when I took those jobs, you know, when I, it sounds ridiculous and it could be a short lived strategy, but my objective, so when I took the, um, the worldwide job at Publicist, you know, my negotiating tactic was I wouldn't do it unless I was the highest paid creative in the group. And I knew that that made me a target, and it was outright. But I also knew that if I didn't deliver, I would have been fired. First person Easily, fired. Yeah. But also that was the arrogant side going, I deserve it. But then the insecurity side says, shit, I'll be the first one fired. So I, you yeah. know, I, I like having um, something on the line because I feel like that makes, makes the, the reward better. So what's on the line now? Personal pride and, and opportunity. I don't want to squander the opportunity. You know, I'm also yeah. aware that... So many, there's so many, there's been so many, there are still great agencies and there's been so many great agencies. And I, I look at the, as an Australian, we look at England and America. We looked at both those places for yeah. inspiration. And there were lots of great agencies um, that I loved in, in, in the US and in America, I mean, and in um, England that don't exist anymore. Creative agencies. Right. Hal Henry's, the Freeman's and all that sort of stuff. And I suddenly became parent. I don't want to try and build a great agency that's a great agency for a little period of time. Right. You know what I mean? I want to try and build something that that's a great business as well, based on creativity. So trying to make sure that we're not one note and that we're not just a flavour of the month for a few years. Yeah. And, and, and that's not easy to do. No, it's not. And we, we don't have a playbook for that. Right. But the fact that we give a shit about that, maybe that's the, the, the whole... Um, reason we have some momentum well, i think it also comes in the diversity of the type of clients you take on and the type of talent that you bring in because there's a lot of agencies that are one note and and, and you, you mentioned some and it's like maybe the, the it's trendy or maybe it's uh it, it works for a time but if you can actually diversify what you what you do and the stories that you tell then yeah, I think, it gives I think you longevity important yeah. like no no client is the same client. No mandate is the same ma- mandate. And that comes a lot back to, you know, having a great strategic department that allows you to stop just being 
seduced by being one created note. Mm -hmm. And, you know, with the, that's why we can have, you know, I, I, personally, I, I take great pride in the range of clients we have in the range of work. And, you know, we can be doing thoughtful, considered, responsible stuff with Prudential. We can do irreverent fun stuff with, you know, Newcastle, Johnsonville, you know, mm -hmm. stuff that, with Under Armour, with Google. Like, it, we, I like to think we can play in different spaces. Yeah. And that goes back to retention. Like no creative, no matter how what it is, wants to, or, or account person or planner wants to work on the same thing, no matter how good it is. Right. Everyone wants to be able to feel it. They, there's range, and it also justifies the value of an agency if we can show that we can, you know, be re be relevant in different categories and different opportunities. Well, I think that's appealing to talent because I know like a lot of people go to, you know, an Apple or Facebook or Google for you know creative people from the creative industry go there and they're working on one brand. Um, and I think that's one of the things that agencies have an advantage over them where you can have that diversity of briefs and opportunities that maybe some of the bigger companies and some of the, uh, you know, the brands don't have. Yeah. Um, so it's, yeah, it's, it's smart. Um, now are you motivated by specific goals? Like, like in your career, like becoming CD, leading an agency, starting your own agency, or is there something else that motivates you? No, it wasn't. It's never been that tactical as like, I have to, you know, have this title or this that I just knew I always knew it was time to move on from because I was I sort of I fell into creative leadership early in the sense that long backstory but you know so I left I, my first job was actually in the mail room of grey advertising right and uh, it was great great way to sort of get a feel of an agency you know I was snooping every time I walked into anyone's office and, and you know again this is the arrogant side right I would put mail on the desk of the creatives and I'd be like yeah, I'd be thinking, fuck I can do better than that <laughs> whether I could or not who knew but you know there was that so then I enrolled in a there was an advertising school in Australia called Australian Writers and Art Directors so and that was really in Australia it's one of the only ways to get into the creative department because I made it clear to the, the agency that I wanted to be a writer and I was told the only way to do it was go through production department through media into the crate. I was like, oh, I've been, <laughs> yeah. And so I did this, this course and I had to do it at night, you know, so I was delivering mail. Yeah, and, right. and then I was fortunate at the end of the year, I was the top student um, nationally. So I got a job straight away as a, as a copywriter and in another agency. Mm -hmm. And um, how'd that go over? <laughs> well, the, the, the story about like, learn what you don't want to do. I remember you know, I was 18, 18, and the chairman of that company, who I'd never spoken to the whole time that I was... Because you were in the mailroom, yeah. Because I was in the mailroom, right? right? I probably wasn't even allowed to put anything on his desk, obviously. <laughs> and he called into his office and, uh, you know, I was a little nervous after I'd resigned to go to this. And he, he literally, I'll never forget this, these exact words, and I'll, I'll censor one of the words. Again, <laughs> chairman, 18-year-old kid, nervous. And he's looked at me and he said, David, you ungrateful little C. C U N. Yeah. And I was like, You guys know. Yeah. I was like, What? <laughs> he goes, We want you to be a writer here. Have, you know, we let you be what you're living to in another age. And I was so shocked that a person of that thing would talk to anybody like that. And I was taken aback and I was like, Because you were 18, you're a kid. 18, I was like, yeah. But you, everyone here knew that I, I'd been talking for you know, a, a year about wanting to get in the creative department and I was yeah. always told that was shut down and the place that I was being tutored, they offered me a job. And he, I, I remember, you know, I left that office and I was like, I'm glad I didn't work for him. But I remember leaving that agency 
thinking, wow, who, who would ever talk to anyone like that? Particularly in that sort of role. Yeah. Not going back to, and there's always a delicious irony in my stories. Is <laughs> about 10 years later when I was running Saatchi London, he wrote to me to try and get a job. <laughs> <laughs> Boop, delete. It was the most beautiful. I mean, I did, I actually resisted going back, you blah, blah, blah. blah. Just, just the, the most delicious delete button. Yeah. Just, that feels good. That feels good. Didn't even, I wasn't even yeah. going to give him any sort of, but you know, but I, be, that was the whole thing. I was like, no matter who you are, you can't talk to anybody like that. You can't treat anybody no. like that. And you have to have a, a but, uh, so anyway, so I'm, I'm a rambler. Um, <laughs> so I got the job at an agency and then there was a new startup agency that started in Australia called Omon that asked if I'd be their first creative employee. So I left this first job I'd taken as a copywriter, which was FCB. I was doing that for a few months. And I went to this new startup and my first, I was the fourth employee because there were three partners and, and I was the creative. And I didn't really get, I basically wrote almost everything because there was no, and then my first desk was a pool table, you know, again, that's why they went bankrupt because they bought pool tables instead of, <laughs> but for, instead of desks, yeah. yeah so, but for, you know, for six or seven years, it was, you know, agency year many times in Australia and great. And they ended up being bought by um, BBO, but, and I sort of became default the creative director of the agency when one of the partners left. But I was sort of creative director, right? So I suddenly, I didn't even know what a creative director was, but I just liked the idea that... So they made you, how old were you when you were a creative director? Uh, 21. Wow. Well, it's kind of like one of those things, like people now, I see, you know, we see tons of books of people coming out of school and they're like, oh yeah, I'm a creative director because they started their own like t-shirt company. Uh, and you're like, you're not, you're well, not it is. Director. I mean, I didn't really know what it was, <laughs> but I suddenly found, you know, then we're something like a, an 80 person agency or something. And it was... Yeah. It, and you grew into it. I grew yeah. into it. And then yeah. I, but then they, when they were doing the sale of the agency, I didn't want to be part of a bigger age, so I didn't want to be swallowed up. So again, this is the privilege of um, youth. Yeah. I was like, you know what? I'll give up my stake in the agency for nothing so I can get out. And that's when Saatchi's offered me to run um, Asia to be uh, regional crazy. So it was just seeing what opportunities were coming well, in and also listening to yourself that what would make you actually happy. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I, you know, I'm motivated by um, creative opportunities and exploring and you know the idea of going to Asia I'd never even been to Asia the idea of it was a great so you took the job before you'd ever been to I Asia? took the job sight unseen because Saatchi's <laughs> had been offering me a job every year for about six years and every year the job got better <laughs> <laughs> you know it's like we want it's like a poker a, hand yeah, yeah. exactly we want you to be like a copywriter a senior copywriter a creative director and then we'll offer you this office in New Zealand and then eventually they're like we'll offer you regional creative director of Saatchi Asia based in Singapore I was like, wow, that sounds amazing, you know? And, uh, you know, I was 26. Yeah. Uh, Singapore sounds cool. Yeah, yeah I was like, that. Uh, again, and you don't really know what you're getting yourself in. And I went there and I worked my ass off. Like, a lot of people who went to Asia just went there to party. Right. And I was like, you know what, I really want to go here and have impact. And I think I'm the only guy who ever moved to Asia and took his girlfriend with him. <laughs> um, who's now my wife and we have four kids. Oh, that's amazing. Um, and I just, you know, it was two and a half years and I just decided like two and a half years there was like five years anywhere else. And it was, it was again, a lot of it's luck and timing as well. Yeah. I just went to a country where the CEO there was really an absentee CEO. So we, I kind of ran the office, but again, we did a lot of work. I moved us to a karaoke lounge. Like I moved the office out of a boring office and we rented a karaoke bar to become our Wait, office. to be your office? To be our whole office. Like every creative person's office and person's office use. 
was a dirty, smelly uh, karaoke thing. Wait, what's your karaoke song? Um, now that you brought it up, I gotta know. American Pie, maybe? Oh, that's a, that's a great to, one. Yeah, I was singing that around a campfire this weekend. There you go. So I, you terrible, terrible. Terrible. Pomala can attest to that. It but it was, great. it was a great thing. And again, yeah. it was one of those things where I suddenly saw the impact of uh, anyone who's been to Singapore knows, you know, it's a, small, it's a very small but very competitive country. And we, we had a lot of success for the agency and Singapore, the government was so enthralled with it because we were, I think Ad Age made us International Agency of the Year, this Singapore office. And so the Singapore government, was, you know, they would look for victories <laughs> so about far, anything yeah. about Singapore. Yeah, yeah. So suddenly they turned our office into like a national thing. <laughs> like a monument? No. Oh. <laughs> No, no, no. You know, but it became like a, a general public knew about yeah, yeah. us because it was any, any, any sort of accolade was good for the country. Yeah, of course. But after two and a half years, I was like annoyed by Sachi Lama because they were head office and they were sort of so dismissive of us. So I thought, fuck, you know, my, my MO was to make them look bad by us being good. And then they offered me to run Sachi London, which is why <laughs> I moved. <laughs> what do you want to do that you haven't done yet? Because it seems like you've, you've been doing this advertising thing for a while. Like, is there any, like, issues or problems that you want to tackle? No, I mean, I, I, that's why I'm still so obsessive and energised by everything. Is, you know, I don't want to be a guy that has a great advertising career so I can segue and go off into the, and do another career. Like, I want advertising to be my interesting career where yeah. I can, you know, fulfil my creative desires but also fulfill my social contribution. Yeah. You know, like, and, and people who've worked at Droga 5 or know me personally know that I actually very personal about what our social contribution is as a corporation. Yeah. You know, I'm not going to pretend we're Mother Teresa or anything like that, but I yeah. really do care about working on issues that we care about and working on them on a sincere level. Um, you know, whether that be contributing to um, NGOs or politics right. or... You know, just anything that where we can have an impact. I mean, you know, it, there's very few industries and, and things that great creative minds and great strategic thinkers or good creative minds and good right. strategic can't add some value. Right. You know, I mean, I'm not going to overstate our our contribution, but you know, we live in an era now where also you know, creative people are have have more empathy than most, just yeah. as an industry and, and creative people. So. You know, I think people like knowing that we have a conscience about what we work on, which is as much about what we contribute to as also as some things we won't work on. Well, know? it seems like you guys have put a social spin on some of your clients, whether it's Honeymaid or, uh, and really like gotten clients to do work that most people probably wouldn't have the balls to do. Well, we, you know, there's no question we're drawn to clients that have a higher purpose. We'd like to yeah. believe that they do. You know, it's, there's nothing wrong with selling graham crackers or sneakers or whatever it is. But, you know, I, lo I do love clients that, um, you know, know what they want to do in their category, but also aware that they are citizens as well. Yeah. And, you know, Prudential's a great example. Like, you know, a, a hundred plus years financial institution, da, 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 but their sort of community ambitions are, are as, as interesting to me as their um, business ambitions. And I like that. I mean, that goes back again to my mother and my father. My, my father was a a hardcore businessman, you know, as I said, I grew up in that national park. It was a ski resort actually where I grew up. Wow. So he ran the ski resort. So you're pretty good on slopes. I should be better, but that's, I'm, I like it. I like okay, it. I'm pretty, yeah. pretty, my wife says I ski better than I walk, which I don't know if she's trying to insult me or, <laughs> um, but, uh, my mother who is, 
about as green as they get. And she's still a, she's a crazy Danish poet. She's still, she's still a Danish citizen. In fact, if you met her today, <laughs> you'd think that she'd just got off a boat from Denmark. Like, yeah. Not Australia. Not yeah. Australia. She says yeah. still hasn't become an Australian citizen. Um, well, she's just dual passport. <laughs> but uh, she, uh, she's a huge activist and environmentalist. So I sort of had this... My father wanted all his kids to sort of grow up and conquer the business world. And yeah. My mother wanted all her kids to grow up and um, help the world. Yeah. And so there's always been this. Yeah, I feel like definitely. And I, you know, I, I, there's no question we, we I toggle between both. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Uh, no, there's good tension there too. Um, and speaking of politics, you brought up politics. Uh, there's rumors that you've been working on Hillary's campaign. Can we talk about that, de- that debate? That was unbelievable. Oh, my God. Yeah, Trump. Woo! <laughs> Literally, it's unbelievable. I first of all, I watched it like that, like I was just waiting for the... Yeah, I mean, I, I have to tread carefully what I say about this is because, yeah. you know, um, we're, we're helping. Okay. We are definitely helping and we're happy to help and we're um, trying to have as much impact as possible. There's some stuff with, you know, some... You know, New York Times and stuff has talked about that sort of says some of the work we've done and we're doing some more. But um, you know, there's a, there's a lot of people uh, in her in her communications yeah. team who, who are doing a lot of stuff. But we're trying to help wherever we can. That's great. And we kind of need to, right? Yeah. It's unbelievable. It's, get, it's getting scary. They say you shouldn't talk politics to clients. I like they always say rule of business in America: never talk politics with clients. And I think that's even with like strangers or anybody. I don't yeah. give a shit, right? You know what? If you, I don't care if people know my politics. If you know. It doesn't mean I don't respect yours. Mm-hmm. Well, if you're a Trump person, I don't. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but uh, you know, you, you've got to have your point of view. I think now it's more essential. Well, I think ever, that, yeah. again, I'm not an anti-Republican. <laughs> but we have a responsibility. I feel like, you know, there are values, conservative values I definitely believe in and, and, and you know, more progressive ones too. I just think, you know, the ramifications of where we are now is... Yeah. And as someone who can't vote in this country... You know, yeah, you, you, if I can, you, you chip in where you can. Yeah. If I can, yeah. why, why wouldn't you? You know, we did we did some stuff with Obama in, in his first term, first, um, you know, crack at it. It's, I love, as I said, it's all about influence where you can. Yeah, you know. So my next question is about ambition, and it's it's fitting with someone having presidential ambitions. But I've been thinking a lot about it, and I, I realize I say to myself a lot of times, "I'll be happy when," and "I'll be happy if." Like once this happens, uh, I'm like this is my goal, and I'm I'm running there. And then as soon as I get there, I'm like, oh, that just move the goal line, and and it, and it's that constant chasing of the uh, of the goal, and I find myself missing out on the present a lot. Do you find with all of the stuff that you're doing, and all and you seem like a decently busy guy, and and mildly ambitious, do you find yourself falling into that trap? Yeah, definitely, I definitely do. I mean, my wife is. is She's a, a, a great person to try and remind. She's always like, just enjoy the moments now, you know, because yeah. I always seem to be in a rush. Yeah. You know what I mean? And my rush isn't financial recognition. It's, as I said, it's more sort of, you know, the next great creative opportunity or what's going to manifest or, you know, things that we can impact. I just am so seduced by that and it's such a seductive thing, getting involved in... I mean, someone asked me, I can't remember who recently, they said, you know, what is... Tell us about what it feels like when you have a great idea or you recognise a great idea. Mm-hmm. And I said, you know, my thing isn't eureka, fireworks, like excitement. Mine is annoyance and 
nervousness because as soon as I hear something great or I think of something great, I'm nervous that it's not going to happen and I'm yeah. angry that it hasn't happened yet. So I'm sort of driven by like, oh, yeah. fuck, what do I need to do to make protect this or see this through or da da, you yeah. know what I mean? Like, of course I'm excited to see it happen, but there's sort of a, a worry about like, now that I know that this, this has potential. Yeah, you gotta shepherd this baby. I have yeah. to do whatever I can to see this come to fruition because yeah. that's the most incredible thing with anybody who's, who's creative or, you know, it's. Yeah, well it's gotta be nice so the position you're in now, you can probably help protect ideas more than when you were just uh, you know, yeah, a writer. Yeah, yeah I, you know, I don't sit at my desk now writing ads and stuff like that. You know, I, I still indulge myself and try and sort of get in, involved where I can to brainstorm or just spitball. But, you know, more often than not, it's like, what can I do to clear the path and protect and contribute to something as opposed, you know, I, my ego doesn't need to sit and say, that was my idea. That's right. the thing. I have exceptionally talented people and... What can I, how can I create an environment that unleashes them? That's, yeah. you know, that's the primary thing. Yeah, that's right. Um, what's the most important thing you've learned about running a business in the past 10 years? And I'm going to take notes because now <laughs> I'm running a business. Um, I, well, I wish, I, again, I, it's, it's such a thing to look back and sort of pretend that you've learned these. That, you know, I'm not one to sort of write things. I don't have a huge revision mirror, but I think just know why you did, just remember why you did something. You know, like I constantly go back to like, what was my, what was my motivation and inspiration to start the agency? Right. And why is, what, what, what gave us the early successes? You know what I mean? It's easy to, to feel good about things once you've got the momentum and there's a certain amount of success. But yeah. you sort of, I go back to, you know, I didn't pay myself for my first two years of opening the agency. Yeah. Because, you know, there was a real belief in what we were doing and there was a bravery in, 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 in that as well. And and of desperation and mm -hmm. excitement and all those things. And I, I, don't, I don't want to still be that agency. And, that hungry, and I'm not yeah. trying to replicate the fact that we were just scrappy and pirates and da-da-da-da. But I, I don't want to become so professional that I squeeze out the DNA of the company. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, you can hire... That's where your motivation, uh, yeah. Yeah, you, you know, we, there has to, there's a certain amount of rigor and I have some incredibly strong... Uh, operations people and leaders in the company as well. But I don't want being a, a robust business and a well-run business to ever overtake the fact that we are a business that's, you know, a creative business. Yeah. And creative comes from being mildly irresponsible and becoming, and for being dreamers and... And having that freedom to be that. Yeah, yeah and, and having, you know, people know this in the office, it's a saying I have, if, if you can convince me that blowing up the moon is the right thing to do. I swear to God, I'll try and find out how we can blow up the moon. <laughs> you know what I mean? And then when yeah. you tell me about gravitation and all that and why it's irresponsible, yeah. maybe we'll pull back. But like Elon Musk will help you. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah. But I just, I just want, you know, it's a bit of a catchphrase. It's a bit yeah, yeah. shitty. But like, you know, I, I want to build a, you know, a safe place for dangerous ideas within our industry. You know what I mean? Like yeah, yeah. to believe that. And that doesn't mean everything we do has to be crazy or weird or wacky or it might be straight down the line. And, you know what I mean? Bold. But it's just, yeah. we're, we're so lucky to work in this industry where people pay us a shit ton of money to daydream. Yeah. I mean, it's pretty crazy, right? Yeah, it's crazy. I had someone, uh, I think it was uh, Rob Baird, uh, described it once as we get paid like lawyers to wear shorts and flip flops to work. And that's pretty damn good. And I was just like, yeah, it, it's help, it helps in whatever we're doing to have those moments of gratitude and, 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 and just 
humility about the whole thing. No, I yeah. think you've got to have a perspective on it. Like, yeah. I, you know, I take pride in what we've got, but I, as I said, I'm, it's not lost on me what, I, what we've done and what we've set out to do. And it's, it, it's a fragile industry amongst, you know, we're not, we didn't create an algorithm. It's going to last the test of time. Right. It's going to be held together by, you know, a commitment to values and protecting people and all that sort of stuff. But it's funny. I mean, but I... I try and enjoy it. But, you know, you do, everybody gets caught up. Everyone's got their head in the trough every day, right? So yeah. very rarely do you get to sort of think about this sort of stuff. Maybe when you sit and have an interview about it, you yeah. talk about yeah. it. Well, and it's like even like I realize that times you give talks, it's almost like therapy for yourself because you start thinking about why do I do what I do. Well, that's exactly right. That. I mean, yeah, people yeah. ask, you know, like I, it's funny. Even though I gave a talk yesterday, I, I try not to give too many talks. <laughs> uh, and, you know, I, I, I particularly like talking to students because of, that is the – thing for me that reminds me what it was like when I was in their shoes looking up listening do you know what I mean yeah and sometimes when you're trying to inspire you know the younger group of people you're, you're reminding yourself like why what your motivation was well I think that helps even when you hire young young talent young creatives or just young people in general it gives you that reminder of like oh yeah this is like really fun and and this is stupid and exciting and absolutely you just, need that reminder yeah. just they're much lazier than I was <laughs> and entitled uh, <laughs> lazy and entitled all right uh I'm not. You're probably not wrong. Yeah. Uh, this is a. Uh, is putting your name on the door more about ego or accountability? That's a great question, actually. Uh, it was probably ego, <laughs> I think. But uh, you know, I think accountability comes with that. I mean, I didn't really. Did you Did you have like a creative name that you were throwing around? No, I didn't actually. Yeah. I mean, I. I because there was a backstory to it. For me, it felt very personal. So I wasn't like. I didn't think like. I think, like, if I didn't have that name, I don't think I necessarily would have called it, you know, Droger and Partners or something right. like that. It wasn't, that wasn't my, my starting point. My starting yeah. point was, that was my label for so long. It just seemed to sort of make sense. Like, literally your label, yeah. Literally. I mean, it's funny. Like, I was telling someone in the office the other day, so I have four kids, right? And uh, two boys and two, two girls. And we have this great building down on Wall Street, ironically, which is funny. <laughs> and... You know, I put my boys, who my oldest is 16 and my youngest boy is 12, and they, whenever they come in the office, and recently they came in the office, and they sort of stopped out the front of the office, and there's this it's, yeah, it says your name. brass plaque at the front of the, 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 the building, Droga 5, and then there's also this huge Droga 5 flag that flies yeah. next to the big American flag. Actually, I tried to get an Australian flag that wouldn't let me. So this big the, who wouldn't let you, the building? <laughs> yeah. yeah. Screw and, the uh, Aussies, they say. He's like, what? <laughs> So my boys, when they when they come in the office, they sort of you know they pause and they stop and they're like, I can see they you know they feel like yeah, yeah it's my, you know my name sort of stuff, right? You're, you're breeding like Donald yeah. Trump Jr. right now. Well, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's so funny. But this there's a flip to the story. <laughs> Whereas I have two daughters, and my eldest daughter, who's who's uh, just turned ten, I got another daughter who's about to turn four. She came to the office recently, and it had been the first time in ages she came. And she stopped, and she stopped at the thing, and I was, and she looked at the the plaque, and she looked at the flag, and I was waiting for her to be like, and she was like, "It's a bit boasty, Dad. Tone it down." <laughs> That's awesome. And I found myself trying to justify it to my ten-year-old daughter why we have. I'm like, "Well, you know, the building clients need to understand." Where. She was like, "Yeah, yeah, yeah." yeah. So I suddenly felt. Guilty and dirty. And just, that's, a, that's what makes kids amazing, right? No, yeah. but it was great. It was, it was beautiful. It's a, it's it's a nice a, contrast, yeah. Yeah, it sort of summed up the, the, the difference in um, well, boys it, and girls. It, it, 
one question. I don't have kids yet, but I always wonder, is it hard to balance family life and spending time with your, your family and your kids uh, when you're, you're running a global ad agency? Yeah, uh, yeah I mean, it, it is, but I sort of... I'm a family-obsessed person, and so, I, you know, apart from work, I don't really... I don't need to go to advertising functions. And right. I don't need to wine and dine. You know, I've got great friends and stuff, but I, you know, I love spending time with my family. And to be honest, and I'm, it helps that I have a spectacular wife. You know, who's very, very supportive. Yeah. And she's allowed me to do this. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Like, she, she, you know, she's a very proud stay-at-home mum. You know, she's not a one-dimensional person who's just a stay-at-home mum. She's doing amazing <laughs> other things and creative things. But, um, you know, I, you need that sort of soulmate supporter yeah you can't to do, allow alone, you to yeah. do that you know what I mean I yeah. feel like that's a last, you know it also helps that uh, when she first came to Singapore you know I was travelling all the time so maybe she doesn't know any better because I was always working so compared yeah. to then I'm working less maybe. yeah totally so she's like this is a gift yeah. yeah but no no it's, it, but it, for me it's um, yeah it's, it, it's not the hours you spend it's, it's uh, the quality it sounds such a cliche but it is you know I when you my, get out of the city with them, and yeah, I mean the thing is, I my before we moved to Wall Street, my our office was on Lafayette, and my you know I live on just off the Bowery, so it'd take me ninety seconds to walk to work. Mm-hmm. So I, I had a rule where no matter what, I would be home for dinner, even if I had to go back to the office. Yeah, that's good. And still, you know, so you you find ways to work better, and, and you put parameters on it, and and I think also once you have a motivation to go home, you don't like concede that I'm going to work all night. Yeah, yeah, but don't get me wrong, holy shit, I like going to work on Monday morning. Yeah, because you, know I mean? <laughs> yeah. you know I'm bottom of the totem pole of the house. Yeah, you know <laughs> I like to go somewhere where I'm right. <laughs> God, I would you love know? a place like that. That's my, great. Yeah, I get schooled by my four-year-old daughter. I'm like, you know, being dressed down by my ten-year-old daughter. <laughs> uh, so, what are you what are you struggling with these days? Well, you, I th- yeah, I know that's a very blunt question. Getting um, older? No, I yeah. don't know. Um, uh, all of the things that everyone struggles with, you know, how do you stay? How do you stay relevant? How do you not, you know, particularly for me, like with the scale of it, how does it stay a personal business? How do you quality control? Yeah. How do you have that um, balance where you, you know you're not sacrificing family for office and you're not sacrificing office for family? Um, you know, then there's the regular things that you know most of my family's in Australia. Mm-hmm. It's a little bit of guilt there because I haven't been in Australia for 20... You know, I haven't lived in Australia for 20 years now. Right. Um, again, you know, I don't know, just finding... But I tell you what, though, going... So I, have, I was saying I have a farm upstate. That has done more for my soul as someone who is from the country... Yeah. ...than anything, you know, anything. Like, just going up there, spending time with water, trees, kids, you know... I bought them all dirt bikes for Christmas. There's six dirt bikes in our house. So you're the coolest dad ever. Yeah. I am the coolest dad ever. And I, yeah. although I had a dirt bike accident, or I had a, a bike, you did. an accident a month ago. So I had 17 stitches here, which was just taken out. A cracked rib oh, yeah. and broken toes. Shit. And I was the one trying to teach them safety and I'm the asshole. <laughs> that was during the safety lesson? No, no, it wasn't. Oh. It wasn't. <laughs> That's right. That's and incredible. Don't do that. <laughs> no, no, no. But again, you know, I'm... I, yeah, I love New York City so much, but I'm happiest uh, 
in trees and digging holes and skiing. And I, I, I don't think I, I never considered myself a nature person. And then I've been trying to get out of the city more often in the past year or so. And I'm just like, holy shit, this is amazing. It's, I mean, you guys, I mean, yeah, you have trees, you have everything. I mean, like air, you have, I mean, everything. And if you could, if you can allow yourself to time, you don't have to have a lot of money to get out of the city. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's, it's amazing. Like chickens and bees and, you have, you have beehives? Yeah. Oh, that's cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there's droga honey? Not yet. Okay. I wouldn't be so arrogant to call it droga honey. <laughs> <laughs> Your daughter wouldn't let you. No, yeah, exactly. No. She wants to call it blaze honey. Uh, what's been your proudest moment of your career? Or your life, either way? Wow, that's a... T- um, you know, the... Wow, I don't know. Um, there's different things. There's different things. I think the... In my actual office, you know, I don't have any awards in my office on display anywhere. Right. You know, where people come and sit. The, I, the only award I've ever had in there was the award school, the uh, Australian Writers' Night. For the first, they're your first award, yeah. You know, I have another room that is other <laughs> shit. But, uh, no, um, I think, I don't know, I think maybe paying the first employee that I had a salary, knowing that I was paying a salary. Yeah. That literally someone could rely on me and trusted me enough to, to pay a salary. Yeah. That's an amazing feeling. It's unbelievable. It, it really it, it It's also just, terrifying. It's ter- Yeah, please. I mean, I'm very <laughs> fortunate that I can detach myself from reality where if I actually thought about the responsibility at scale, I would be paralyzed with... Yeah, because it's like you have 650 children now. <laughs> <laughs> no, but you know, exactly. But I can share that responsibility. Oh, in London, London sorry. Exactly. Plus the 40 in London, exactly. which he loves very much also. No, it's, uh, I'm going to London <laughs> next week. No, no, it's, it's, it, I think things like that. And, you know, when you see work that, that really, you know, is fine, it, it, if your peers like your stuff, that's one thing. But, like, when things touch the real world, that's when you're like, whoa. That's, yeah. you know, we did a thing called the Tap Project, that's which incredible. to this day is still my mum's favourite thing I've ever done. She doesn't give a shit about how big we are or how many yeah. agents of the years we've won. You gave like clean that. water to people who needed it. Yeah, it's yeah. just like... That's what you need to be doing. That's what, you know. Yeah. So that's you know things like that. But it's it's nice to make your mom proud. Shit, look, isn't that what we're all just trying to do? <laughs> Honestly, you know, yeah. I feel like that's the. Uh, what's your Achilles' heel as a creative? That I think I'm right all the time. <laughs> <laughs> no, that I. Uh, Maybe 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 that is maybe you know not I don't think I'm right all the time but I I think I'm becoming better at not being but I've definitely have always been a bit of a control freak. Uh huh. You know it's a benevolent dictatorship at that office and I'm trying to surrender that. Wait, you were probably sitting in a room of anybody else a control freak? Yeah. Okay. Only. But I don't. But not as funny. Yeah. But I, you know, I'm very privileged <laughs> to have so many smart people there now. But I feel like. I don't know, but, but, you know, I think you're, uh, buying your own bullshit is probably everybody's Achilles heel. Yeah, and, it happen- and, it, and it's unavoidable. Yeah, I feel like that's yeah. the thing. So if you can, going back to the ego and insecurity thing, you know what I mean? Yeah. Who, who makes you jealous? Shit. <laughs> uh, well, if I could have had anyone's career, I would have wished I could have had David Attenborough's career. Who's? Who's? David Attenborough, the naturalist. I mean, he's my favorite, maybe my favorite person. You know, I mean, if you think about what he, he's done, he sort of traveled the world, bringing the world to everybody, storytelling mm-hmm. amongst nature, 
unbelievable. You know, like yeah. just, just what he's seen and done, and he's the most charismatic guy. You know, I, I looked. You know, you look at people like Pixar and stuff like that. You know, I, everyone always loved Apple. I was a more Pixar type of person. I was yeah. just like just storytelling and to the masses. With but know, which it's kind of what you guys are doing. We'll try, but not at that level. Yeah, right. I mean, from, from an agency level, you know, I, there's. I see so many people that I've, I've respected as I've come up in the industry. You know, I look at, you know, what Dan Wyden has built for over 35 plus years and the consistency and the, you know, that's kind of unbelievable. You yeah, know I mean? for that long, that longevity. Yeah, yeah. I feel like And anybody, sticking to principles, which is... Well, that's, isn't that the yeah. thing, right? I feel like it's, that's the biggest challenge for anybody building anything is how, you know, will you stick to your principle even if it costs you money? And... A lot of people say they have principles, but then they buckle when it's sort of... Mm-hmm. And, I, you know, life gets in the way, right? But um, I don't know, like, having good intentions and in everything... You know, I look at White and I go, like, I can sense they have good intentions in everything they do. It doesn't mean yeah. I like everything they've done or they probably don't like everything we've done. And yeah. whether you're talking about, you know, Goodby or Lee Clow or, you know, there's, there's all these people who p- paved the way. You know, obviously there's a generation before them, but... yeah. Um, so speaking on all of them, those folks, who's your nemesis? <laughs> <laughs> who's my nemesis? Um, you gotta have you gotta have one. Oh, do I have one? No. Um, Besides your siblings. Yeah, that's funny. <laughs> Actually, there was, was someone in my office had a great idea. I can't take credit for this idea, but it, they told me this idea once. Was that someone should sell what like on Match.com? They should have a feature which is because you know how they match you based on chemistry and all that they should yeah. match you with your nemesis as well like who's the, the <laughs> least the worst yeah likely compatible person because you'll probably end up having more fun with that person <laughs> I thought it was such a genius idea nemesis.com yeah <laughs> billion dollar business idea there for That's someone it. take it guys run with it wasn't it. my idea so I gave it away <laughs> no but it was pretty nice uh, I, don't, I actually don't have an individual or an agency that I hate or dislike I just you know People that don't stand for trying to support the industry and fight the good fight, and you know, there's a lot of them. There's a lot of, there's <laughs> a lot of you know people who are phoning it in, and it's all about the money and yeah. turn everyone in, you know like cogs and stuff like that. And well, I don't know, and those are the people that give the industry a bad reputation. Yeah, yeah, there's a lot of them. There's, I mean, thankfully, there's a lot of people who give it a great reputation. You know, I'm not Debbie Downer on everybody. Yeah, yeah, that's good. Um, do you have any regrets besides agreeing to this overshare? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, of course. You know, I've tried different things that I've, you know, I, before I started Drug I also tried to do something. I tried to start something called Honey Shed, which was like an online advertising uh, network. Yeah. Which was... So what was it? Like you, I, I remember you used to watch like interesting, entertaining, weird content and then you could shop everything. Yeah, I mean, basically, the, I still stand by the idea. We screwed up the execution. <laughs> but the, um, it's, it's basically almost now what YouTube influencers are, which is just people who know about stuff just talking to you honestly about it in their own way. Yeah. And so, we, you know, we built a pretty flimsy platform, which was badly built. And then we spent a shit ton of money filming content that was way too expensive, but done well, but just way too expensive. So spending $100,000 to sell yeah, it was a, $10 products. It was ridiculous. Yeah. But, you know, yeah. um, that was a spectacular failure. But I stand by the intentions of it and the idea. It just was too early. And What did you learn from it? Well, I learned <laughs> you can't segue into industries you don't really understand. You know, I understand advertising, but, you know, I wasn't a sort of a... 
an internet pioneer or a studio manager and all that sort of stuff. You know, I couldn't bullshit my way or use my reputation and right. create something that I didn't, you know, was, I was out of my depth. And yeah. it, no matter how big an idea it is, you sort of have to also take your lumps and, and know what you're not good at as well. Yeah. And that, again, but that was also reassuring for me. That that's why Drover 5 maybe my, my comfort zone. It's your forte, yeah. Yeah. And it, but as a writer, do you have any, you know, you said not really going, the Pixar you mentioned, do you have ambitions of trying to write for other things or storytell for other industries? Or and, and you, I know you have the relationship now with WME. Does that, like, tease you or taunt you a little bit to scratch that itch? Not, I mean, I love writing and I don't do enough of it. I think going back to when I first left school, I, like, I, did, I just wanted to be a writer. I didn't care what type of writer. I didn't care if I was yeah. writing you know, became a journalist or writing comics or if I, you know, had the patience and talent to write books, I just wanted to, I knew that that writing was, and you know, that was what I wanted to build my career on and, and, and personal satisfaction. I just never thought that I had the, maybe the talent or the um, patience to sit and write a book. Mm-hmm. You know, I think, I'd like to think that I w- will write, one day write a book about, I don't think I'm going to sit and write the, the, the great Australian novel, yeah. <laughs> but um, I'd like to think that I'll write stuff. But I, I don't have any aspirations that you know I'm going to write a screenplay here or there. I mean, it's funny when we did the WME deal, you know, I immediately saw every creative's eyes go, "This is my chance uh-huh. to get my screenplay and my TV show." Uh-huh. So, I, in a cruel manner, what I did was I got <laughs> the head of uh, scripted content and from movies and television, and the head of non-scripted content for WME who, you know, they probably approve Greenlight more stuff than anyone to come and spend a whole day in our office and I said to the whole creative department clean out your drawers of every script and screenplay you want you get an audience to present to them and you can present your little hearts out and, and <laughs> you get that TV show you made I should have filmed that as a reality show in itself <laughs> just lining up just the heartbreak <laughs> because it was so ruthless because you know in advertising you know as a creative director or something what you'll say to someone if you see something that if it's too familiar or something you'll be like oh, it's been done before it's a little bit similar you know we need to do something more original there it's like nothing like that's been done before or you know so they won't buy it yeah if like, but right. if you walked in and said this is a hybrid between Bachelor and Job. Chef's Kitchen or something. Yeah, yeah. They'll be like, yeah, that's great. But, you know, Hollywood a, needs that frame of reference. Or they'll be yeah. like, that's just too worthy or that's just, you know, it's just yeah. funny. It's amazing. Yeah. And so then you, all of their dreams were crushed. <laughs> all of them crushed and they realized that they were all just advertising people. <laughs> <laughs> They'll never amount to anything no, no, more. No, no. Of course, there were some, <laughs> some great ideas. But um, <laughs> it was, uh, it's, you know, they're, they're they're, they're an amazing company and they've grown and grown. You know, they've bought IMG and they've bought UFC and, they've, you know, they're, yeah. they're great partners to have. You know, they're minority investors so they don't steer us but, they're, you know, they're, they're, their ambitions and their influence is really interesting and we can tap into them when it, when, on, on our terms, which is amazing. Right. You know, but it's... Um, can you tap into them for UFC 205 tickets? It's going to be at Madison Square Garden. They just announced it yesterday. <laughs> Conor McGregor. I would who's just love fighting? one if who's you want to take me. Who's Conor he? McGregor. No, but who's he fighting? Who's the fighter? Who's no? Who, I know who Conor McGregor is. Okay. Who's he fighting? Oh, uh, Alvarez, I think. Oh, Maybe, okay. Maybe I, I might be wrong on that. I didn't really care. I just saw Conor McGregor. Yeah, he's pretty. He's that. pretty yeah. badass, actually. Yeah. I so well, if you got an extra ticket, it, I do watch yeah. it. All right. All right. Well, I'll see if I can hook you up. Thank you. Appreciate that. Um, so, a couple last questions. Uh, how do you define success? Well, beyond the generic of happiness, <laughs> um, if you can put yourself in a position where you have options, that's success. 
I think when you run out of options, then you don't have a lot of success. Because you know, life is about having options. I can do this, I don't have to do this. We can do that. You know, I mean, I feel like that's, it's not, a, there's no, it's not a, just about money. Yeah. It's about, you know what I mean? I feel like that's how I look at it. Well, I feel like if you're truly a creative person, you'll always have options, right? Because there's something about adaptability and, and seeing the opportunity over here, even I, though your, your heart was set over here. I think so. I'd like yeah. to believe that, definitely. Yeah. You know, because unfortunately, a lot of people in, in life don't have many options. Yeah. You know what I mean? We're fortunate, yeah. Yeah, and that's the, that's the, that's the thing. Um, are, are you happy? You know, I am. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a very optimistic person. Yeah. I'm not like a everything is rosy type of thing, but I definitely see the positive side of things. And I genuinely believe everything's gonna be good. Yeah. That's, that's a good way to look at yeah, it. Yeah, I feel like that's, I'm, I'm glad that I'm on that side of the ledger. Yeah, well, yeah, it makes sense. I am too. Um, if you had to give your younger self one piece of advice, what would it be? Uh, buy Apple and Google stock. <laughs> How many times have I said, oh, last time I said I should have bought Apple stock, I should have bought Apple stock. Yeah, exactly. That's happened like six times now. Yeah, no, I, I still have, I don't have any, yeah. Now, I, uh, <laughs> maybe going back to one of your earlier questions or points, which was just enjoy a little bit more the, the journey of yeah. where it is. Do you know what I mean? Like, oh, it, and not just like enjoying success, like I was also, you know, as a young guy, living in Asia or living in Europe and all that, like I didn't explore Asia like I should have. Yeah. I didn't explore Europe. You know, I traveled a lot, but it was, I would fly to a airport, go to a meeting, go to the hotel and come home. You know, yeah. I wish I'd, you know, trekked around Vietnam or, you know, spent more time in India or was gone to, you know, just really actually done a little bit more of that. Do you do vacations now? Yeah, definitely. Okay, Shit, good, yeah. Definitely. Yeah, okay, yeah. My wife would never forgive me. Absolutely. And uh, my last question, how are you feeling right now? I feel just generally about this interview. This, <laughs> this room of, uh, of friends now. I'm feeling this is a beautiful thing. This is a, a, a bigly type of day. No, no, it's great. I mean, I'm, I'm a rambler, as you can tell. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, and you know, the, the few times you can get to sort of reminisce and remind yourself about what you're doing. But also, I, one thing I will say is this goes, again, goes back to that insecurity ego thing. <laughs> Flattering for my ego to sort of reminisce about certain things. Part of my MO is I'm, I always get a little bit insecure when things are, you know, when people say positive things or things go well. I'm like, fuck, I have to live up to that. I have to. Yeah. The pressure of that. Sustain that. Again, and then the other part of me likes that. I'll put that pressure on myself. Yeah. It's a never-ending, annoying cycle. Yeah. Because uh, once you care, it's impossible not to care. That's uh -huh. the thing I keep on thinking. Yeah. Like, it'd be so much easier not to give a shit. <laughs> it really would be. Absolutely. You know, but it's like, yeah, ignorance is bliss. Yeah. Yeah, it would be easier if you could just, you know, cash it in and be happy with mediocre and okay is good. and uh, you know. But once you aspire to something, whether it be cultural, creative whatever like you know you want to constantly exceed or live up to that and I like you know it, that's what I think that keeps me motivated yeah you know well we're happy you care that's, thank you very much I'm, uh, thanks I'm, thank you for oversharing yeah I did definitely <laughs>
32 and I don't know how to Snapchat. Creative is about Snapchat. So how do you stay into all of that and keep yourself educated? Well, it doesn't mean I have to suddenly be, you know, I have to be aware of what's going on there or surrounded by people who are aware of and appreciate people that have different perspectives. Do you know what I mean? It, it, yeah. You know, being relevant isn't just like, I have to know everything, but I at least have to embrace people that are, are curious. I'm a curious person. You know, so I'm not on all the social, social platforms. Although literally today I had to, I found out last night that there was a, someone had started a, tin, a Tinder account under my name. <laughs> this is true. And I had- Your to, wife must be psyched. Amazing. So yeah. literally I was, I had, uh, <laughs> our legal department was literally working with Tinder today to shut it down and someone had started a Facebook page under my name because I've wow. had to shut that. Because I'm, even though I'm on the Facebook advisory board, I'm not on Facebook. I think I'm the only person in the office on Facebook. Um, <laughs> So I'm, I'm aware, you know, I'm just, I'm just a curious person all the time, you know, you know and, I, and I also don't want to be just advertising obsessed. You know, I don't have my head in award books or any of that sort of stuff. I'm, um, I'm more curious what's going on out there. So, I, you know, I sit on the board of uh, the New Museum. I'm on the board of um, the Public Theatre. You know, I try and get um, involved in things that are just satisfying for me and all that sort of thing. I'm a pro prolific reader as well. So that's really what it, you know, I... Yeah. I don't know if that's the answer, but I, you know, I'm not content with just the small world I live in. I like to be inspired and scared by things beyond me. You know what I mean? And I feel like that keeps you relevant, potentially, or wanting to be relevant. Yeah. Another question in the back. How's it going? Good. This is fantastic, by the way. Thank you. This is so awesome. No, pleasure. Pleasure. Uh, so I recently graduated from school and I've had the good fortune from podcasts that I have to meet a lot of very inspiring people who have had great careers like yourself. And um, I'm kind of in this stage in my life where there's this, um, I've got to meet these people, they're inspiring and they kind of help me along and they're further along like you are. But when you were my age, I'm 25, and, and um, you probably are running the world by then. But, uh, <laughs> But when, when, when you were young, and as you said, you were kind of looking at the advertising creative field as a whole. Yes. Um, how did you feel then? I know you feel optimistic now, but how, do you, how did you feel when you were making those initial connections and meeting those people? And did you feel hopeful? Did you feel optimistic? Or, and is that, uh, is that something where you kind of need to make a, a decision of like how you're going to look at your life? So like, you know, did you have your mind set on, on, on the moon where, when you were young, before this all happened, where was your head at? Well, I don't think I, I, I realized the potential of the industry, but I knew that if I could find my voice within it, that I, could, I, would, I would find a place. Do you know what I mean? I, I, you know, I was much more um, selfishly creative and all that sort of stuff, but I was definitely, I knew early on that if I applied myself early, that only good would come from that. You know, I wasn't like, well, I'll just, you know, I'm gonna party a bit and then I'll knuckle down when I get, have to get responsible. I was like, I actually like working hard. I liked seeing things, you know, go out in the real world. And I sort of got addicted to that. But very much it was, I think I was fortunate. This is where I was, a lot of people take a lot of time to sort of find their, creative writers, to find their, their own voice. They try and replicate and emulate and you know, I just realised early on that I would never be better than someone else at being themselves. So I just had to try and find what made me happy. And, you know, I'm a quite emotional person. So I'm always drawn to um, 
creative ideas that create an emotional feeling or empathy and things like that and find that connection. So, you know, yeah. I, so that's, what, that's what I want to double down on. And I, I, was, I was also, you know, this is where the competitive side comes in. I didn't want to just move up a ladder based on other people's criteria. I was like, if I can do this, and, you know, I knew it was time to leave Singapore. I knew it was time to leave London when I could... I knew that I would be having similar conversations next year. So if I was like, I think I'm going to have the same conversations I had this year, next year. I was always like, well, then it's time to find something different. You know what I mean? And that, for me, was a, a, a barometer, personal barometer. Now, obviously, that's slightly different now because, you know, I can't run away from Drover 5. So I've got to make <laughs> sure that, you know, it's the same theory. I don't want to be having the same conversations. You know what I mean? So that the onus is on me to sort of try and push us forward. It does take a lot, though, to have the ability to recognize when you're unhappy or unsatisfied or dissatisfied. Uh, like, that's not an easy thing. I think a lot of people might stay in something longer than they want to or they should because they, they either don't have the courage to, to go and do something else or, or the ability to even recognize that it's time that they want to. Yeah, I don't, I don't, have a, I don't know what it is that just... I, bought, I don't know if I even did the right thing, but I, I'm sure I did. But, you know, like... I just kind of knew that it was, and I, more often than not, I bet on myself. I was always like, you know what, I can't be guaranteed that this is going to be a success if I move to Asia. I can't be mm-hmm. guaranteed that I'll go into this, you know, this, the ferocious pit of London advertising as a, as a young Australian because I'd never had a foreign crave director there. And everyone was like, don't do that, don't do that. You know, I was always like, well, what's the worst thing that can happen? As long as I know that I can work my ass off and I have some belief in my own talent, I've got to give it a go. Yeah, and if you get fired, you just get another job. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Hopefully, yeah. Hopefully, yeah. But that's that's yeah. all right. That's all right. Any other questions? Do we have an Australian asking a question? G'day, I'm actually going to ask a question about Australia. Finally, someone I can understand. <laughs> um, I'm an Australian that has just moved to New York, and you're obviously a very successful Australian in New York. I'm curious as to what you think, well, what you feel the most, I guess the biggest cultural difference between working in Australia to working in New York is, well, working in America? Uh, that's a good question, actually. I think, well, the thing is, I think the advertising market I find in New York now is very different from when I, when I first moved here 12 years ago. Um, you know, I was taken when I first moved here by the scale, but I also thought it was, for the most creative city in the world, I thought it was the most conservative advertising market in the world. I was sort of shocked. Mm-hmm. And I think that's changed dramatically with uh, you know, a plethora of different companies in different industries. I think here there's, you know, there's a directness in Australia that is, is quite blunt. Here it's not as blunt. But I Even try, in New York? It's not well, New blunt. York's more blunt okay. than, than other parts, definitely. Yeah. And I think that's why I've been lucky here. <laughs> Again, some of it's just timing. I mean, yeah. I think being Australian has actually helped me because as, as, you know, I don't beat around the bush, so I'll say what I think. Also, you sound smarter to us. Really? Yeah. There you go. I'll take that. No, but I feel like, you know, we'll say what we think, right? Like, if you walk into a bar and you've got a filthy pimple right there or a boil, Mm -hmm. I'm not going to do everything I can to not mention it and just sort of, like, look awkwardly around and be like, I'm going to be like, what the fuck is on your lip? (laughs) And we'll just get that out of the way and then we'll get on to talking. So Australians are assholes. Yeah. No, no, but we'll just, you know, we we sort of try and cut to the chase. Now. totally. Cutting to the chase is great because you can get to the nub of the conversation issue. Then you have to have the substance to deliver on that. Mm-hmm. But I think, you know, for an Australian here, I think Australians don't have any baggage 
to the Americans. Whereas I think other nationalities, sometimes there's baggage when they come in the room to talk. So I feel like you're given a fair shot. People are curious to hear what you've got to say, not just because of our accent, <laughs> but uh, you know what I mean? It's not like we don't sound like we're pretentious or you know, we don't have a reputation for that. Yeah, you're not British. We're not British. <laughs> <laughs> no, but you know, no, but you know what I mean? Like I feel like it's, it's a great market. There's so many Aussies here. It's, um, yeah. It's a good community here. Oh, look, I mean, New York is unbelievable for every community, right? I just assume every Aussie I know knows all the others. We and then I, and I ask someone, and I'm like, oh, do you know Jeremy? They're like, oh, yeah, I love Jeremy. And I'm like, God, they're actually, know I, mean, I have to say, there is a little bit of an Aussie mafia here. There really is. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty good. Yeah. I, I think we've got time for one more question in the front here. First of all, um, oh, let's get the mic for the podcast. Coming to iTunes in about two weeks. First of all, I can, uh, I can vouch for the, uh, the Tinder profile. I have it to see it. Oh, really? <laughs> did you... Sw- wait, wait, wait. Importantly, did you swipe right? They, she did. All right, good. That's you know, good. I'm not joking when I say this. Like, as I was talking to my lawyer and everything today, and I was writing these emails, like, you know, this has to be taken down immediately. This is, you know, encroachment, identity theft, blah, blah, blah. I wanted to put a PS at the end. was like, did I get any hits? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you got at least one. Yeah. That's uh, amazing. Said, Thank you. <laughs> I wish I, if I told you that I knew, I'd be bullshitting, but I definitely think that, you know, really strong creative and strategic thinking, however it manifests itself, is not going to go out of style. Do you know what I mean? I feel like it's almost like uh, television, you know, suddenly reality, reality TV became everything mm-hmm. and the sort of the, the, the natural pushback on that was actually quality TV programming went up. An amazing drama. An, you know, amazing yeah. drama. And I like to think, you know, that's not to say targeted, programmatic, all that sort of stuff isn't relevant and important. It really is. But at the right times, in the right places, like people who understand people and connections and values, not just trends, you know, that it's always going to have a place. I really believe that. You know what I mean? Like if, if BMWs can sell BMWs for $50, they don't need a, a, any ads that say anything more than BMWs is $50, but they're not. You know what I mean? Like there's always has to be a place where we create extra value and meaning and emotion with things. And you're seeing that now from politics to startups. So, you know, I feel like there will be, there'll probably be less agencies, but hopefully there'll be some better ones. You know what I mean? And, and it's not just going to be my opinion, there'll be people who, you know, the people starting up now and stuff that will contribute to that. And as long as we can be one of the people that still contributes, I have to believe that. But I, I, as I said, I, I don't have a roadmap of how that's going to get there beyond just working my ass off to try and make sure that we are uh, a part of that. It's not really a helpful answer. Uh-huh. I think that's it. Thank you, guys. Thank you, David. Thank you. 
Thanks to everyone who came out that day, to David Droger for being so honest with us. Thanks to Significant Others and Final Cut Editorial for recording the audio at the live event. To Auxiliary for hosting us in their amazing space. To our editor, Dusty Alberts, and to Caleb Grove for our theme song. To read more about this episode, check out our blog, Free Range, on workingoutworking.com. And you can also learn about becoming a Working Out Working member on our homepage. Follow at WNotW on your favorite social media channel and tweet us questions with the hashtag WNWOvershare. And that's it for this episode. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.